Well, welcome. It's so impressive that uh, you have made it this morning, despite all the inclement weather. Uh, so that's that's some perseverance, and be of good cheer. The the Bible say that perseverance is a sign of election. So uh, be of good cheer. Uh, well, one of my family's favorite movies is The Princess Bride. Yes. I wonder if any of you have, uh, have seen that. And one of our favorite scenes in The Princess Bride is atop the cliffs of insanity. Uh, there, the Spaniard, Inigo Montoya, is engaged in this epic sword fight with the dread pirate Roberts. And after spectacular sword play, each brandishing their swords left-handed. The Spaniard says, in the midst of their fray, Ah, I admit it, you are better than I am. To which the dread pirate inquires, Then why are you still smiling if I am better than you are? And Monteo, uh, Indigo Monteo responds, because I know something that you do not know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. <laughs> and then he switches over and then the thing continues. Uh, so, uh, um, great scene. Well, I want to give you three things this morning. Things that as Christ's disciples, we can know. And that if we know these things... They should keep us smiling, like the Spaniard, even in the midst of the toughest of circumstances. Okay? Here's the first. Here's the first. No matter what the bad is in your life, if you are a disciple of Christ, the good will always outweigh the bad. No matter what the bad is in your life, if you are a disciple of Christ, the good will always outweigh the bad. Now, uh, we all know that a lot of bad can happen to us in this world. Uh, Maybe you've read of uh, Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I don't know if uh, you have that children's book. Uh, Well, from the moment he wakes up, uh, stuff goes wrong. Uh, The chewing gum that kind of starts out in his mouth ends up in his hair. Uh, He trips on the skateboard. He gets his sweater wet in the sink. His brothers Nick and Anthony find prizes in their cereal, and he only finds cereal in his uh, cereal. Uh, So uh, a, a, a concatenation of calamities and a myriad of misfortunes. And uh, I don't know, maybe you've had such terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days with uh, stuff a lot worse than gum in your hair. Pets die. uh, Friends leave. Tests get failed. uh, You don't get into that grad college that you would hope to or even any of them, uh, any number of things. Uh, But here's the thing. And is this not true? If you have put your trust in Christ... Whatever the bad, what is the good that is true of you? Well, the bad stuff 
may feel crushing, but really, Jesus has taken away the things that can really crush you. You see, Jesus has gone up against your truly deadly enemies. You think you've got problems? I'll tell you what your real problem is, and it's mine too. (laughs) We have failed to love God as he deserves. With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we've enjoyed his gifts, but all too often, we've ignored the giver. We have robbed the God of the universe of his rightful place in our life. We've pushed him off center stage where he belongs, off into the wings. We owe him our worship, uh, worship from from recognizing his worth, his worthiness. Um, Yet we don't. We value other things more. As Jeremiah, the prophet, puts it, we have forsaken God, the spring of living water, and dug for ourselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. Or as prophet Isaiah puts it, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And uh, so we are rightly, justly destined for a terrible, well-deserved judgment. Condemnation, death, and hell is our just due. But for everyone in Christ, wonder of wonders. As Isaiah continues, but the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. He has taken hell for us and so taken it out of the way. He took our death and so death will not be for us the final chapter. He took on and overcame for us the devil, our accuser, the enemy of our soul, whom we could never have taken on ourselves, never overcome ourselves. He took our rightful condemnation. He heard those words, depart from me so that we are in his place, welcomed forever. In short, Jesus took our worst, sin, shame, debt, death, treachery, rebellion, and in exchange, he gave us his best. Acceptance with God, a perfect record, Adoption as sons and daughters, the promise of resurrection, a place in the renewed earth where there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, and no more sorrow, and where he himself will wipe away every tear. Now, you throw that good into the balance. And I don't care what you have in the bad scale. It's just not going to tip it. It can't. It can't. Uh, You remember uh, the Apostle Paul's balance. Remember the light momentary affliction 
which <laughs> Frazee uses to kind of sum up anything that we might, might be aggrieved by. Light, momentary affliction versus the eternal weight of glory. The eternal weight of glory. And uh, this is assuredly true for the one for whom Christ is the Savior. No matter what the bad is in your life, the good will always outweigh the bad. And if you know that, really, deep down, you know that, like the Spaniard, even in the midst of the bad, you will keep smiling. You'll keep smiling. I mean, uh, how bad could things get? How bad can things get in our life? Well, um, your problem could kill you. Say that's pretty bad. Problem could kill you. But uh, as we said, Christ has trampled down death. So death will not be the end. Uh, We will merely pass through it into a deeper, fuller life. Death, no longer a dungeon, but a doorway to eternity. Thus, even the ultimate threat is neutralized for the believer. Uh, The Romans, who persecuted the early Christians, discovered this to their astonishment as they would try to threaten the early Christians with the sword, which was kind of their ultimate threat. Um, uh, The Christians responded to the Romans uh, and to their great befuddlement. The Christians would say, you can't hurt us. All you can do is kill us. (laughs) what wait say that again Uh, you see they knew however bad the bad the good for the Christian always outweighs it it always outweighs it so they just kept smiling (laughs) Uh, to the great irritation of the Romans they just kept smiling so there's the first thing we know there's the first thing we know And here's the second thing. Not only does the good for the believer always outweigh the bad, but for the believer, God actually works the bad for our good. For our good. Uh, This is the plain and prized promise of Scripture. Uh, Paul writes in, in, in Romans 8.28, some of you may know this, I'm sure it's precious to you if you do, and we know, writes Paul, notice not surmise or conjecture or presume or speculate or hope, we know, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's us. That's those who have put their trust in Christ. God causes all things, including the bad things. The things so bad that we think, well, nothing good could possibly come out of this. Yes, those things too, God causes to work for our good. Now, this is not to say that the bad things aren't bad. They are. They are. But God uses them in our life to produce good 
Remember the story of Joseph? The terrible, horrible, no good, very bad stuff that happened to him. His brothers sell him into slavery. He's falsely accused. He's sent to prison. Uh, the guy who was supposed to help him uh, by remembering him and putting in a good word for him forgets him <laughs> completely uh, and on and on. Uh, but God uses all of, used all these bad things to get him to a place where he was able to save his family. As uh, he, Joseph, told his brothers, kind of at the unfolding of this, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good and for a great, great rescue. Okay, you say, well, well in, in that case, uh, God was able to work good out of it. Uh, but is he really able to do it with all things? Can he really turn every bad into some good for us, his people? I mean, some things are so bad, we just can't imagine any good at all coming out of them. We just can't imagine. Okay, so let's take as our test case the absolute worst bad, the greatest, most horrific evil in all human history. Okay? That'll be our test case. Now, the worst evil is not the Holocaust. It's not mass genocide. It's not ethnic cleansing. It's not lynchings. It's not sex trafficking. Not infanticide. Terrible and horrific as all these things are. No. Indisputably, the worst evil is when God out of love, sent his only son into the world, the only truly innocent, all good person that there ever was. And we hated him without cause and screamed crucify him and nailed him to a cross, torturing him until he died. I mean, that's the plus ultra evil, the above and beyond evil that there could ever be, that there ever was. So I ask you, and let's take sober stock, was God able to bring any good out of it? The crucifixion of his son. You know, I'm sure that the disciples and the devotees around the cross all thought as they watched Jesus expire on the cross. There is nothing good that could come out of this. No way. No, this is unmitigated, irredeemable tragedy. And you know, you couldn't fault them for thinking so, could you? But they were wrong. So wrong. For out of the most horrendous evil, God brought an unspeakable good, the eternal rescue of his people, a number that no one can count, the salvation of the world. And that's the kind of God he is, who brings good out of evil. And he has promised to do just that for his people, to work every bad for the good of those who love him. As uh, Jonathan Edwards 
an uh, American theologian, actually Yaley, uh, as he expressed it, every atom in the universe is managed by Christ so as to be most to the advantage of the Christian. Did you get that? Every atom of the universe, every particle of air, or every ray of the sun, so that the Christian in the other world, when he comes to see it, shall sit and enjoy all this vast inheritance with surprising, amazing joy. Isn't that wonderful? That some of the chief delight and felicity of heaven, some of it, will be seeing all of the incredible unfolding of good that he has brought out of all the suffering that we went through. So knowing this, that the bad in our life, God works for good, we can carry an indestructible smile in our hearts for what possible upheaval could dislodge it if we remember this. So, no matter what the bad, for the believer, the good always outweighs the bad. And... Even the bad for the believer. God works for good. And uh, finally, one more thing we know. For the believer, no matter how good the good in her life, the best is always ahead. No matter how good the good in your life, the best is always ahead. You know, some moments or seasons in our lives are unspeakably wonderful. Golden moments. And we wonder if it will ever be so good again. Will a wistful nostalgia be our lot? A looking back with longing where the very best has for us come and gone. You know, in our culture, we might be influenced to think so. As youth slips away and as beauty fades, we might think we would reach a time when our glory days were behind us. But it can never be so for the believer. For however good the good, the best is always ahead for her. Indeed, our very best moments of beauty, of ecstasy, of epiphany are couriers from a far-off country, the home to which we are heading. And this nostalgia for these moments should not face us back, but should face us ahead. Nostalgia. Literally, the word literally means a pain for home. A pain for home. And that home for which we so poignantly yearn is ahead of us. It's not behind us. These joys that are, that are strewn along our way are whispers from a home that is beckoning us. There in that far country which comes through these 
pangs of, of beauty, joy, and love. There, all these bits and beams of glory shall come together in us, around us, and before us. In us, around us, and before us. In us. Duh was said of the king of Rohan in the Lord of the Rings. I wonder if you've read that. That upon his brow in death was united the beauty of youth, the vigor of manhood, and the wisdom of old age. <laughs> upon his funeral pyre. You know, these things barely meet are only tantalizingly so in this life. Just maybe meet in passing. <laughs> By the time we have a little bit of the vigor of manhood, the beauty of youth is almost gone, and the wisdom is still a, a ways away. Uh, but don't we sense that our true flourishing shall be when all of those come together? Which they shall at the last. As the Apostle John writes, First uh, John 3, 2, what we shall be has not yet appeared. So we look forward to a glory in us that is still ahead. And this glory uh, shall also be all around us. Heaven on earth. Heaven and earth come Together, as Paul describes it, creation set free from its bondage to corruption. There in Romans 8 to 21. And do we not catch glimpses of it, nature, creation, straining to break out in the streaks of a sunset or the, or the gurgle of a stream? It's glory. And splendor will be all around us. But supremely, supremely, it will be before us. As the apostle says, then face to face. Face to face. 1 Corinthians 13. Face to face with the one whose whispers were these Hangs of beauty and joy all along. They were his whispers. Then we shall discover that it was his face that we yearned for in all of our earthly longings. They were but shadows of which he is the substance. They but the scattered beams. He the sun. The earthly delights were but the streams, the little rivulets. But he is the ocean. But not only shall there be in the far country to which we had a, a, a coming together of all the bits and beams of glory that we have, that, 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 have, that have caressed us, and sometimes ravished us in our hearts in this life. There will also be a, 
a, a continued and an, an eternally continued culmination of all of these joys. Welcome. Uh, a forever drinking of what shall forever quench our thirst, but an ever deeper drafts of an ever fuller quenching. Do you uh, remember how C.S. Lewis put it at the end of his last book in the Narnia series? It went like this from his last battle. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. (laughs) Is that not wonderful? Is that not full of wonder? That for the Christian, however good their experience, the best will always be ahead. Forever. Theirs, ours, will be an ever fuller, deeper, more expansive joy. (laughs) If it had not been told us on good authority, who could believe something so unimaginably fantastic? As the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 2.9, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Oh, friends, if you, can, if you can put these truths, these three truths into your soul's pocket, even if your present sword fights seem to be going against you, you can yet smile like the Spaniard. Because there is something that you know that makes all the difference in the world both in this one and in the one to come. However bad the bad, for the one in Christ, the good will always outweigh the bad. And for those in Christ, the bad in their lives, God works for good for them. And no matter how good the good gets in this life, for the one in Christ, the best is always ahead. Wear these truths as a garland about your head and no one or nothing can take away your smile. Well, we've, uh, we've said, uh, get these truths into your soul's pocket and carry them with you. Uh, a brief and concluding word on how to do so. And these truths are, are of course, uh, simply a bit of the architecture of the edifice that is God's story given to us in the scriptures. And let me, let me call you to do two things. First, Steep yourself in the story. Steep yourself in the story. Attend and, and, and absorb 
its majestic sweep, creation, fall, incarnation, cross, resurrection, renewal of all things. It's a story so full of wonder. Peter tells us that the very angels long to look into it. They're ravished by it. 1 Peter 1.12 So let this story, God's wonderful story, supply your categories of thought. Let it, this story, shape your imaginary. Be captivated by it. Let it become the lens through which you see all things. Let the word of Christ, this word about Christ, the story, as Paul tells us, come to dwell in you, make its home in you richly, richly. Colossians 3.16 Pray its truths down into your heart until they catch fire and it becomes for you the burning bush in which the presence of God is made known to you. Steep yourself in the story. Steep yourself in the story. And second, I propose, give yourself to the story. Let it be your drama from which you discover your role. And answer it when it calls you. Go where it sends you. Live in the story. If you live the story you will experience its truth. It it is as you launch out and, and live it, live it as a disciple, that you will come to know the story's truth in all of its splendor. If you abide in my word, says Jesus, you will know the truth, John 8, 31, 32. Living this story, Jesus once said, is like food. My food is to do the Father's will. John 4.34. Food. That is what nourishes and satisfies our soul. So come. Taste and see. Give yourself to the story. And the one who is its center and author. Steep yourself in the story. Give yourself to it. That's how you get these things into and and carry them around in your soul's pocket. Do that, and your heart will never lack for a smile. Never lack for a smile. Well, this uh, concludes our series on the fundamentals of following Christ. Uh, For those of you who have persevered in this adventure, Uh, You will recall that we commenced with the call of the disciple. The call to launch out into the deep at Christ's bidding and to cast out a net for a catch. Then we considered the course of the disciple. What is the path that this call casts us upon? And we discovered that it was a path of an ongoing death to self. And yet, simultaneously and paradoxically, of an upwelling life, the Christ life through us. We then soberly confronted the conflict of the disciple. 
that fearsome fight of our fallen flesh which hankers to be indulged and is only successfully engaged as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we unfolded that. And then we took up uh, consideration of the contemplation of the disciple. Uh, That discipline at the very heart of our spiritual health. Meditation. In the uh, conquering of the disciple, we doubled down on the concrete practicals of sin-slaying and the indispensable role of Scripture in that slaying of sin. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, that is, using Scripture. And finally, we concluded this morning with the great comfort of the disciple. The treasured truths that will keep a smile upon the soul's heart for every follower of Christ. Well, in the time that remains, and uh, uh, I shall be happy to take up any questions you have on this or any of the, the, the topics. I finally was able to be good to my promise to leave some time for questions and answers. Uh, so uh, thank you for your gracious attendance and your attention. And may the good seed that is sown produce an abundant harvest in your life for the glory of Christ. Thank you. Any, uh, any questions or, or comments about these or anything? We've got a good 10 minutes. For, yes, Matt. <laughs> I agree with your three points today. Oh, good. I'm glad. That encourages me. <laughs> I was sweating there for a moment when you raised your hand. <laughs> Is it... It seems to me that the Bible makes clear that God doesn't expect us to always have a smile. On yeah, face. good question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great point. Yeah. So, Matt, um, uh, yeah, great question. And here's an amazing thing. Uh, in the world, typically our sorrow and our happiness are mutually displacing. Why, if we get sad or something makes us sad, we lose our joy, our happiness. And uh, so, you know, it's either one or the other. But the wonder that the Bible gives us is that these things can exist simultaneously. I'm sorry? No, you just really preach. Oh, well, thank you. I was in the back listening. Oh, good. Keep listening. Let me just let me just just let me finish this because he's got a good question going here. I don't. It's a, so um, so Paul uh, Paul has this marvelous phrase, sorrowful, yet rejoicing. So we can be. We are. We're in the midst of tribulation, and 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 that's a reality. So and and Jesus says, in this world you shall have much tribulation, but be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. So he's suggesting that even in the midst of tribulation, because of this hope that we have and because these truths that we know, we can even have a joy even in the midst of our tribulation. And I think, Matt, um, that this allows us, this gives us a heavier keel 
The joy that we can have, and Peter writes about this in 1 Peter also, where he says, even though we've got all these hard things that are happening, yet we joy and rejoice. And, and that gives us a heavy keel that allows us to kind of go full sail into a lot of the hard stuff in life. We can go right in. I think this is what Jesus means in part when he says we're to be, to be salt. That's to go in where things are going off and kind of going rotten as a preservative. So we can go in and, and, and we can endure some of the most sorrowful things because we have this heavy keel, this ballast of joy that doesn't go away. It's beautiful. And, uh, it is. It is. And, uh, and so that allows us to. Um, to experience that. So then we, um, you know, when somebody dies, uh, uh, I'm heading down this afternoon to, to a memorial of a precious, precious person. And Paul writes, uh, we do sorrow, yet not as those who have no hope. So there's always this commingling <laughs> of joy with, uh, with whatever it, it is. So whether that expresses itself as a smile or a tear at any one moment, no, you're absolutely right, Matt. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about That's why I said a smile in our soul. <laughs> it, um, it, uh, Jesus wept. <laughs> and there are, a lot of, there are a lot of sorrowful things. And that's going to be one side of the reality you know, that, in a fallen world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Great question. Great question. My wife always suspects that I, I'm just happy. She thinks I'm Pollyanna-ish, but no, no, no. It's a good keel of truths, I think. <laughs> yeah, any, any other questions or comments? Or, yes, Elizabeth. So how do you, you're talking with someone, and they're totally in depression, poor me, victim, pity thing. How do you express, how can you express this quickly yeah, yeah. and convincingly to such a person? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well... I think um, sometimes uh, you do, you don't want, you don't want to trivialize it. If, if I just start talking about good, true, wonderful things, uh, and it do, it doesn't, then it doesn't feel like I've really entered into the reality of their sorrow. And that's true. So it's fine. You can't understand this. You don't know what depression is. It's not just feeling sad. It's the chemical imbalance, you know, on and on they go. Could could be any number of those things. So I think it's fine to sit with them. And don't don't feel like you you have to put in a salutary word right away. Maybe just sit with them in the sorrow of it. Uh, for, for, for some time. Maybe even just the gift of your presence. Uh, a, a, a wordless presence. And just hug them or, or hold their hand. And, and, and this is part of the sorrow of, of this life. But it's not the final word. We do not weep as those who have. We do not sorrow as those who have no hope. So the hope, um, the hope should, should tinge this. I hope should tins this. Um, so, um, I uh, um, sometimes I'll just read scripture uh, to them. These glorious passages, Romans eight, what have you. But sometimes we're as deaf as an adder. Yeah, I uh, uh, I sometimes will come and I'll sit next to somebody and I'll try to tell them the encouraging things and they just can't hear a word of it. 
Uh, you know, they, it's like, uh, it's like uh, John 4, you know, the, the well is deep, John, and you have nothing to draw with. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but I can trust that God's word will. And that if he touches people, he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions. But he delights to use us. So we try. We just seek to be faithful and try to give them truths encouragingly that, that, that can. And don't let them. See, what the problem is for, for many is they just let their souls, uh, they just listen to their souls. And we need to, like, like David does in the Psalms, we need to speak to our soul. Say to your soul, soul, are you, are you right to be downcast? Or as God says to Jonah, do you have a right? To the, does this make sense? given this, the way he speaks uh, to, um, uh, to Job also. So we need to, we shouldn't just listen to our souls. We should speak, speak to our souls and process that. Uh, a, uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, the, the world will say, and, um, if we, you know, these, 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 these emotions that we have that are, that are just, so, just so titanic and massive, uh, the world says, vent those things. Just spew them, spew them. Sometimes I think a mistaken piety can say, "Well, that's irreverent, so you got to stuff it. You got to stuff it." Uh, well, that's not right either. You know, you look at the Psalms, and it seems we don't just spew. Okay, neither do we stuff. What we do is, like you know, um, King Hezekiah, he gets the letter and he spreads it before the Lord. So our sorrows, we take it and we don't spew it or stuff it, but we spread it. That is, we, we, we process it before the Lord and in the light of his reality, we speak to our soul. And that, you know, often when you're going through the Psalms, they'll start out at a, at a nadir, but they'll, they'll, they'll move to another place. And you're processing these things uh, be, before, before God. And I think that that's right. Uh, the... Uh, the, the, the academic work on emotions thinks of them as something that we just kind of passively experience. <laughs> that's not how the Bible speaks about emotions. You know, you think of things like uh, the command, don't be afraid. Oh, well, emotions of fear. And yet, we're commanded. In other words, you can't just be totally passive. There's something we can do. And it's... Uh, um, uh, an emotion involves a concern. It's a concern construal. We're only going to be emotional about something that concerns us. But then there's a construal that we put on it. And we can challenge both of those things. Why am I so concerned about this? Why am I so concerned about death? Why am I so afraid about this? I can talk myself back from the ledge. Okay, if I die, he'll raise me up. Eh, no biggie. All right, over-concerned here. What sort of construal am I putting on, on these things? Yeah, we, miscon- we, we, we misconstrue these things. Exactly. And then that's when it's out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need to put a Someone's right construal as we're thinking about these things. And what... what something to the wrong person. Yes. How does truth frame this? So I put the right construal on these things. And then our emotions will, will be rightly adjusted to these spiritual realities that should. So sometimes we can walk people through these things, and that can be helpful. And feelings yeah. are tricky. So. They are. Pastor, I never your name. John. John. Nice to meet you, John. It's good to meet you. Well, you're welcome. We're glad you're here. Any other, I guess we got a couple, maybe one more question, if anybody has.
question? Yes. I, I just like to thank you. <laughs> You're for, welcome for, for being our teacher. But um, <laughs> tell I me your tell me name. Harry. 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 <laughs> I know we all here are familiar with the last room. <laughs> if I said the last room, well, I went to the funeral home. You know it by the power, the funeral home power. But the workers, we know about the last room. The last room. Because it was the last room that you'd be in before you put your presence to put away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yep. know, and in that room, you hear the workers. That was my job to keep it straight up. And you hear about these conflicts in life and everything while you're there, you know, because I'm in the background. And you hear, we have the other thing, the conflict, the comfort, and the conquering of things yeah. that you hear in people's lives hmm. that they're saying to you, which is dead. Hmm. They let you know what comfort you brought to them and things like this right here hmm. that, that, that you never would get to, to know unless <laughs> you're in a position to just hear it from, hear it from people talking to your presence. Yeah, yeah. Their presence. What a great vantage point in life, Harry, to be right there in the midst of the reality of death. Uh, that is a wonderful blessing, I think, because it's easy for us to just imagine that that's such a distant reality, and that's an illusion. Uh, so, yeah, great. Wonderful team. Well, thank you so much, um, and God bless, and we will... I, I don't know what the next uh, series is to announce, but I'm sure that you'll... I'm sure it will be announced soon thank enough. You. All right. Pastor John.